Adventures 8 presents Monthly Monday Movie Muckabout because the podcasting world needs yet another movie review show. I am Rick, also known as Not Jeff from Jeff and Rick Presents, and I love movies. I've got a huge collection of movies, and I am really surprised when I find another movie lover who has not seen a film that I love. And so I pull them onto my show, and we have a little chat about that. And this time, I have got one of my good friends, Ryan Daly from the Fire and Water Network, host of Cheerscast, Fire and Water Records, Batman Nightcast, and a bunch of other stuff that I pulled off of his Twitter account. Ryan, I am very, very, very happy to finally have you on my show instead of me being on yours. Not as happy as I am, not Jeff. This is something that I have been waiting for like five years I've been waiting to get on this show, I think. That's that's amazing. I. I'm glad that you finally decided to talk about your time travel problems that you have, because not too many people are willing to open up about those things. Well, 2020 has been nothing if not a decade in and of itself, has it not? <laughs> oh, oh God, yes. You are so true. Uh, I, I am waiting for this year to end, and this is a little behind the curtains because we are still recording this in December of 2020, or as we like to call it, you know, the... 18th month of 2020. Yeah. What a time to talk about movies, the year when I have seen no new movies. Like, I think the only movie I've seen that came out this calendar year was Borat's subsequent movie <laughs> film. And that wasn't even a theatrical release. That was just... Uh, yeah. I, I did see Mulan. I, I mean, not in the theater, but I did I did see okay, Mulan. Yeah. Um, we, we have another family that we have been bubbling with because we have an only child. They have an only child. For our own sanities, we're like, okay, you have the same precautions that you're using around covid excellent we you will mm -hmm. be the one family we will we will get together with and makes sense smart it's one of the things she bought for this covid time is she bought a projector and so we went to her house and she had the projector nice. on the wall and she's like we'll pay for the money for mulan and we'll watch it it was quite a good movie it was pretty good is that the one you've asked me to watch for this episode no okay. no it's not but i know that you are waiting with bated breath <laughs> are you ready to find out um, well, one way or another, you're going to have to play. <laughs> if you want to do the second part of this episode, you're going to have to tell me. So I, I have been anxious to do this because I know that you're a big film lover. I know that you have a, a large collection of films that you, you have watched. Just doing the soundtrack selection, you know, I've heard of movies you've seen and movies you haven't seen. Is this a movie that we have talked about before in some context? Oh, Yes, it is. I knew it. I knew that. <laughs> of course, that's the reason this, you, I gave you the list of like 10 songs and really it was just like, he's going to pick this one. That's the whole impetus for this. He's going to pick much. this one. I'm just throwing in some other, half the movies on the list that I gave you, I have seen before. I was lying about those. <laughs> no, this, there's only one thing it had to be. There is only one. There can be only one, and that is Highlander. That is right. It is finally time for you to watch Highlander. And yes, right now I am holding up two copies of the movie that I have in my hands, and that is because I've gotten rid of the three or four other copies of this movies, the movie that I've owned. <laughs> I have all of the movies of Highlander. I've got the entire TV show of Highlander. I love Highlander, and you famously have not seen it. And David A. S. Gutierrez is going to maybe hate me for this, but you know... Well, we may be able to figure it out something, you know, you might be able to set up some kind of synchronized watching with him or something so he can enjoy it with you. But yep. I want you to see this film. What do you know about the film that you have been told to see for a long time? I, I feel I feel like I know enough about it. So I know the uh, the basic plot and, you know, correct me if the things that I know, I don't actually know. It centers around a race of immortal beings, the, the protagonist of which is named 
Connor McLeod. Yeah. Connor or Duncan? Connor is in the movie. Duncan is in the TV show. Okay. Okay. So I know. Okay. So I know there's, there's like, I know they're McLeods and they are immortal with an asterisk next to it. They can be killed if they're defeated by another immortal in some sort of ritual combat, like a sword fight. I think they have to specifically be beheaded, but I could be wrong about that. The bad guy is played by Clancy Brown, whose name yep. is Kierkegaard. No, that's a philosopher. <laughs> It's uh, Kurgan. The Kurgan. The Kurgan. Okay. okay. So, I was like, okay. I know Sean Connery plays a Spanish Egyptian or Spanish by way of Egypt or something <laughs> along those lines. And I know it's got a rock opera soundtrack by Queen, which the soundtrack of which I am fairly familiar with because <laughs> I have covered several songs of those on my soundtrack selections podcast. I know it is a fairly beloved, it has a, a strong cult following for this first movie. It has spawned numerous sequels, which, as I understand it, possibly get exponentially worse as they go, or at least the sequel is really hit. And, but then there was a, a TV show that at least got multiple seasons and was fairly popular. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a cartoon, an animated series, I believe, at one point. with There was a cartoon and there was a short-lived animated movie as well. Okay, so yeah, I, I know. I mean, I've I have listened to like three or four podcasts about Highlander. So, so why haven't you seen it yet? I think it just it missed me. I was either too young or just like my, my friends growing up, they hadn't seen it or something. It was just it's just one of those weird like blank spaces and just one like one of those blind spots. And then just growing up, it felt like I do I need to see it? Like is this something like I just I never felt like the impetus like this was something that I was there was a void in my life that I was missing. Now there are a couple of voids in my life. Uh, so maybe, maybe I will discover this did actually fill that hole in my soul. <laughs> and we'll find out once I watch the movie. If it does, that will be a miracle. My friend, <laughs> this had to be done. I, I had to give you this movie. It, it has been a long time coming. We've heard you talk about it. I think you've explained everything right there. You've covered the music. You have heard about it before. You have had people like me just like what you haven't seen this film yet it is what it is uh and i think you already are going into it with eyes wide open this is not shakespeare my friend it is not (laughs) but it it is a movie that does i think you said it correctly it is very much a cult movie people love it other people have seen it and said what i am curious (laughs) to see how you're going to end up on this though because it is an interesting movie and it's got a heck of a cast because this is from 1986. It was directed by Russell McKay. Christopher Lambert is the star. Like you said, Sean Connery, Clancy Brown, Roxanne Hart. And there's even a couple of very interesting people like Alan North, who is also in it as well. So, yeah. I mean, right now, there's nothing else I, I need to do except just let you go on your way and watch the movie Highlander from 1986. And then come back and we'll talk more about it. All right. I'm, I'm psyching myself for Swords, Queen, in Scotland. And that's you know what? If you've got that in mind, just sit back and enjoy it, my friend, because that's what you're going to get. <laughs> and for everybody else, we will see you on the other side of this commercial. From another time comes a man of great power. Talk funny, Nash. Where are you from? Lots of different places. A warrior of incredible strength. You've the devil in you. We've been kinsmen 20 years. Connor McLeod was my kinsman. I don't know who you are. Because you were born different, men will fear you try to drive you away.
uncertain of his future. What you got here, Brenda, is a guy who's been creeping around since at least 1700. It's not possible. And haunted by his past. Wait a minute, Nash. I want some answers. You cannot die, McLeod. I am Connor McLeod of the clan McLeod. I was born in 1518 in the village of Glenfinnan on the shores of Loch Shiel. Now I am immortal. A hero who is about to face his greatest challenge. You will always be weaker than I. What can you tell me about a seven-foot lunatic hacking away with a broadsword at one o'clock in the morning, New York City, 1985? Not much, for he is not alone. In the end... There can be only one. Highlander, there can be only one. back i hope you had an opportunity to watch this wonderful wonderful movie one of my favorites <laughs> but before we get into talking about it and to listen to ryan break my heart i would like to give those of you that have not seen this film or haven't seen it for a while a very brief synopsis his name is Connor McLeod of the Clan McLeod. He was born in 1518 in the village of Glenfinnan on the shores of Loch Shion, and he is immortal for over 400 years he has lived fighting other immortals he was taught the rules of this game by Juan Sanchez Villalobos Ramirez, an older immortal who was his first teacher. No fighting on holy ground, the quickening that immortals feel when another is near, and a beheading is the only way you can be killed. In the end, there can be only one. Now in modern times, the gathering of the last few immortals is occurring. Will Connor be able to defeat his nemesis, the Kurgan? So Ryan, you have heard about this movie, you knew basically everything about this movie you've been told that you should watch it over and over and over what was your first impressions I'm, this, this was a fascinating experience <laughs> and I, I i almost don't know where to go from there <laughs> so well look, first impression first impression for, okay so first impression as i was going through like beat by beat every couple of minutes i found myself saying this is much better than i thought good and then a few minutes later, being kind of like, mm, I don't know about this. <laughs> it was, it just, it, it, there was like, it was a, it was a wavy kind of spectrum thing. I, I will say, uh, so this surprisingly, just kind of set up to how I experienced it. I was just like, you know, the kid went to bed early. I finished a podcast. I was like, okay, I've got, I've got two hours before I can crash. I'm going to watch this movie. I'm going to check and see if it, hey, it's on Amazon Prime for free. I'm, okay, I'm going to watch this tonight. And I'm, I'm getting it set up in the living room just as my wife is about to go to bed. And she says, are you going to watch The Highlander? I'm like, yeah. And she goes, which one? And I go, it's the first one. And she goes, no, 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 you missed the joke. I, I was a layup. You're supposed, and I was like, oh, you wanted me to say there can be only one? She's like, yeah, yeah. That's, I was like, wait, have you seen The Highlander? She's like, yeah, duh. <laughs> what? <laughs> She, 
he's like, do you want me to watch it with you? And I'm like, no, I want you to go to bed so I can focus on this thing. So, so it literally is true. Everybody has seen this movie, but you. Pretty much, yeah, yeah. I, I actually, I had, I was going to take notes mm-hmm. um, as they would end. Like five minutes into it, I just jettisoned that idea. I was like, nope, nope, nope. Like once I'm halfway through that first sword fight, I was like, no. But to kind of put it in in the really frame of my headspace, I'm sitting there. Only the TV and the Christmas tree lights are on to kind of like light the room, or whatever. And the TV screen comes up, and I just see cannon. And I just start to giggle. I was like, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, all right. I, I, okay. I, I think the last time I watched the movie, the cut because there are multiple, multiple cuts of this first movie. The last time I watched the movie, Canon came up as well. I'm like going, "Hang on, I don't remember this being." It's. I think it's one of the films that Canon picked up over its when it yeah, when it bought yeah, a bunch yeah. of movies. But yeah. yeah. So I see Canon, and then goes black, and then red text over the black with Sean Connery narrating the backstory that doesn't actually tell you anything. And I start to laugh kind of again. I'm like, all right, all right, uh, this is what we're in for. And then really loud, here we are. <laughs> I just, I start laughing for the third time. And I'm like, this movie hasn't even started yet, but okay. All right, this is what we're doing. I'm, so I was, I was primed and I was, I was into it. So yeah, first impression, like just, I, I kept finding myself getting, being tricked up by little things, but overall finding myself thinking, this is a great premise Mm-hmm. And I am fascinated and I am drawn into this world. And it kind of feels like they're almost sabotaging themselves at a few moments because I completely understand the desire to make five sequels to this movie and a TV series. I was like, because the premise lends itself so well to that, except for the fact that by necessity, by their own inner rules, they kill off everybody and prevent that from happening. I think it's fair to say anybody who's a fan of this property would mm-hmm. love to go back in time and say, okay, you have great stuff here. Just take out this gathering bit. Take this bit out. Yes. And, and if, you, if you take that out and you, you just have this, this is just another chapter in their never-ending fight, you got gold, and you can sell this gold for the end of time. I will tell you right now, the TV show did something very smart. They... They started off with saying this is the gathering, and then they kind of said they kind of just waved their hands a little bit and said, "Well, Connor didn't kill the last person; he was just a, one of the really bad ones." And the and they had Christopher Lambert on the first episode of the TV show, and it was kind of handing off the torch, and it was it, it's going on, and then they just dropped the gathering. They just mm-hmm. they didn't mention it again. They didn't talk about it. It just wasn't there. I did feel like that was probably like the biggest hang up was because they talked about it and I never felt like I had a good handle of it. I didn't yeah. understand what the gathering was or why it was or what the prize was. And yeah. at the end of it I was like, okay, by the end of this he has total omniscience, like godlike um, omniscience, but he now can also have children and die a mortal's death. I was like, is that by, at his own will or is that just a consequence? <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah. And like, it's and that, and that's kind of where it kind of falls apart too. Also that, oh, so, okay. So then I think part of my biggest hang up, and I will get, get yeah. to the negative that kind of was, was bogging this down was both Christopher Lambert and the character of Connor McLeod. Mm-hmm. For one thing, <laughs> Christopher Lambert, like, I almost would have thought it was two different people, two different actors when he was playing in the, like, the 400-year-old Scottish, like, scenes and everything like that Mm -hmm. versus the contemporary urban New York, I guess, or wherever it was. It's two very different performances, and he feels very comfortable 
and natural in the Scottish setting. There's just kind of like a, a normalness. He just seems like comfortable, like to the to the point where I was kind of like, did they just pluck a random guy? Was he not like an actor? And, and they just found him. It, it, it seemed like he was just, he, he kind of fit in there. He was smiling, he was happy. But then when you see him in the modern day, I was like, he kind of looks uncomfortable in the costume, like with that trench coat and the mm-hmm. sneakers and the short hair. It's like his dialogue reading, I was just, I wasn't, I wasn't really feeling it for and like when they tried to give him like the kind of corny action hero type of dialogue like those like lines and everything before he kills somebody like before he kills one random nazi general in, in uh-huh. the 1940s or before like he fights back the character i was like these are just bad dialogue readings i was like this. so the the character by the time he gets to the to the modern day like he seemed a little bit too passive and a little bit too aloof for the prize, the gathering. I was yeah. like, is this the guy who really deserves to win? I was like, what is he going to do with his power? Because he doesn't strike me as the kind of person who would do anything with it. And maybe that's better than Kurgan, who would destroy all life or or subjugate all humanity with that power. But I was kind of like, eh, it doesn't really feel like much of a reward. Christopher Lambert is, is not action hero. I mean, he does not come across and the way they've got the character built as an action hero. And there's a little bit of a reason for that. The director of the movie saw Christopher Lambert in Greystoke, Legend of Tarzan, basically retelling of Tarzan kind of story. And he was the Tarzan character and he was perfect for it because he was somebody who couldn't speak English and he looked great. Russell McKay said, I want him. I want him. He's perfect for the part. Did not realize he could not speak English. He did not speak English at all. He's got a very interesting performance that he's bringing to this because he's really stumbling through his his lines. Also, that uh, makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Yeah. Also, he's blind. Uh, he wears these thick, thick glasses. And there's some there's some things I've read about it where uh, Clancy Brown was like, we would see him reading a script and then take off the glasses and pick up a sword. And Clancy Brown's like, wait a minute, hold on, time out a second here. You're having <laughs> this guy swing a sword at me and he can't see. All right. <laughs> It was a very interesting production. I mean, this guy, Russell McKay, came in and he had a background of being somebody who can do music videos. And mm-hmm. this this film feels like a music video, a really extended sure. music video. But it, yeah, Christopher Lambert as a character and, and Connor McCloud as a character are very, very interesting. And it's, I don't know if it's what makes this movie very interesting or it just, it, it, it keeps it from being just over bad that mm-hmm. he's not this massive action character. He is not a hero. He's kind of forced into the hero light. To the direction then, I mean, there were definitely some like, like right off the bat, like when we're starting off in that boxing match, mm-hmm. there's like a, a helicopter shot, like sweeping over, over the crowd and over the ring and everything that kind of zeroes in. It's not quite a, a single like uninterrupted mm-hmm. shot, but kind of brings you back to, to Connor just as he starts to have his, his little freak out when he senses the other immortal nearby. I was like, this was really cool. And there were like tar- times during some of the action scenes where I was like, this, this director knows how to compose some shots. These are, there's, He's making some interesting decisions. This isn't just a cheesy, you know, nobody who, who was doing this. Especially for 1986, I really appreciated that, like you said, you're inside Madison Square Gardens and you're doing this sweeping shot over the wrestling mm-hmm. ring. And it's like, how exactly did they do that? Because it sounds like it's on a helicopter, but it's not a helicopter because you're inside. It's very interesting for 1986 technology, how they pulled that off. And it I helps. mean, my, my first thought, cause you like hear like a propeller. I was like, do they have a, do they have like drones at the time? Yeah. Like, could they have done a remote control? Like aerial? I'm almost thinking they just had a big line going across there and they just swung the thing around. I, I don't yeah, know. But, I mean, it, like, yeah, the way it kind of moves in. Yeah. It's yeah. I don't know how, but no, it's the, the cinematography 
is definitely one of the high points, I think, in this mm-hmm. in this film. The, the big hook of it is you've got a man out of time. You've got a man who's who's lived so long, he's got these memories that just pop up. And the transition scenes with him going back and forth through time are always fascinating to watch for me. What did you think of those? I, I like those. And at first, I like when we got two pretty quick flashes to the past, like showing his first time in battle, his first sort of like death and everything like that. And like the amount of time we spent in those flashbacks, I think outnumbered the amount of time in the present day, other than like the first major battle, which is kind of long. So I was kind of thinking, I was like, Hmm, maybe I I was actually wondering if the majority of this movie was going to be set in feudal Scotland Mm -hmm. and like the, the modern day sort of battle with the Kurgan was just going to be more of a kind of shorter frame sequence. Now that ended up kind of balancing. We didn't get that point, but I did think, yeah, the, the, when it chose to flashback and everything and those, those set up, those cues were very interesting in the order of which, you know, by the time we feed, we meet his sort of second love, um, Heather, 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 okay. Yeah. And seeing that whole thing play out and because we have to see her death and everything before mm-hmm. he can have his final love story in the in the modern story in the modern New York, which I, I, that was probably the part where I felt like the movie dragged a little bit. I was like, I understand why the movie needs this. And yeah, we got 20 minutes. We better throw on a love scene with some nudity in this just <laughs> just to, to reward the people who've been in this long. But mid 80s action movie. I don't know if they could have really made it without having that. I, no. You know, no. it. you just had to have that. Certainly not a canon, but... No, no, no. <laughs> Dear God, no. Um, Actually, what was what was her name? The Roxanne Hart, uh, Brenda Wyatt. Brenda, okay. She actually... Like, I, I actually found myself really liking her character yeah. until the point where Kurgan kidnaps her because she needs to be the damsel in distress for that last climactic battle and how much screaming they got out of her, which that was a lot of screaming. And I understand he's driving her around in his, you know, Mustang or whatever down mm-hmm. the streets, like crashing, running people down in the street, almost crashing into trucks. And he doesn't care. Cause if he gets into a fiery crash, he's fine. He's fine. So I understand why she would scream and then faint, but that was a little much. So there's a lot of screaming in that. <laughs> but up until that point, I really liked her and I liked her, the, the agency they were giving her because, you mm-hmm. know, she recognized, you know, she was doing the investigation yep. even more so than the lead detective played. Was that Alan North? Is that the guy? Yes, that's Alan did? North from I, the police I squad. I from everything. Yeah. Um, I, re- I recently was watching the episodes of the police squad. And I'm going, oh my God, from Highlander. <laughs> yes, oh, yes. that just blew my I mind. Said, oh God, I forgot. About it. But she was great because she went in there and then she got spooked when she heard him in the thing. So she runs mm. to the bar. Then, okay, stranger goes to the bar, drops this line. Like he knows where you just were. She's right to kind of freak him out and question. Yep. Then she leaves. So he walks out. But surprise, she's not running to her car or trying no. to get safety or holding her keys in her knuckles like she's going to stab him if he tries him. She's hiding and watching him so she can follow him. Yeah. Then she goes to the detective and makes up this lie so that she can get the files. She's doing her own investigating. I liked that. Even at the end, once she's captured and tied to the, the sign, when they're doing their whole sword fight and she's like mm-hmm. dangling almost to her death, she frees herself. Yep. She climbs up to <laughs> up like on the on the sketch and everything like he doesn't rescue her she frees herself breaks into the building and goes and helps in the fight yeah saves him at the last minute even though mm-hmm. she's, he's fighting the kurgan she hits the kurgan with a pipe which buys counter enough time to basically get a second win back and everything. yeah so i was like she's probably the best character in this in this movie other than ramirez but well, yeah. yeah well and, and kurgan too and kurgan come on yeah yeah okay <laughs> we're gonna get to the kurgan <laughs> yes yeah. no i i do like brenda brenda is once again 
place this movie where it's at. And there is some dialogue in this movie that eh, is questionable, very questionable. It, once again, look at when the film was made, look at kind of the, the speech and, and the and the dialogue. It, it fits for the time that it was made. Mm-hmm. You would actually expect her to be more timid, more... She, she is the one who moves the action forward in this. She's the one who, yes. who keeps the story going forward. She's the one who's asking the questions, trying to figure out what's going on. And she breaks the code. She's like, wait, this guy... This is the same guy who's been around for centuries. What is going on here? Right, right. And when he tells her to, you know, to get after they've almost been killed one time, mm-hmm. he tells her to leave, leave this thing alone, just drop yeah. this and and go hide and never come back. And she won't. She refuses. So right, yeah. Keep digging. So yeah. say what you will about Connor McCloud. He does. He does recognize. Okay, danger area here. You know, this has been fun playing this cat and mouse game, but you need to go because you are going to be in danger. And you know, she can't quit him. He can't quit her. Okay, we got love affair. Right. All right. Uh, we we did talk a little bit about it. I want to kind of swing back around. We've got two settings here. We've got Scotland. We got modern day New York. What do we think about the cinematography is fantastic, but especially in the Highlands of Scotland. I mean, what did Mm -hmm. you think about that? Oh, I love, yeah. The, I mean, some beautiful sweeping shots, a lot of like the the sort of training montage. That, mm-hmm. like, but I mean, when they're fighting up on the, those rocks and everything like that, and it's just like, how did they get up there? But it's just, yeah, beautiful. Again, a lot of like nice sweeping shots, but just, yeah, the, the visuals, the aesthetic, especially once we get to that second act when he's with mm-hmm. both Heather and Ramirez, when they're looking and he's got his own little, his own little keep there, you know, that sort of like mini half castle. Although I actually, I love when he gets kicked out of the boat when he's basically like when <laughs> Ramirez has to prove to him that he can't drown that he's immoral mm-hmm. and he's just underwater and starts swinging the sword when he realizes i can't drown and he's like yeah. figuring that out he's like i'm gonna start sword fighting practice my fencing down here just cutting these seaweeds out of my way it's just just anger anger slicing anger slicing and then i'm gonna sneak up on ramirez all right we're gonna sneak up on ramirez wait let let's talk about the sean connery in the room here <laughs> i it's a selling point for this movie, especially looking back at the entire canon of, of Sean Connery. Sir Sean Connery, as it was pointed out to me recently. And this is kind of one of those films like, well, here's this film where he's this little guest star in it. it very much outside of the James Bond universe. Very much side in, in the fantasy realm. I mean, closer to Zardoz than I guess anything else. What did you think about Juan Sanchez Villobos Ramirez? So I knew that he was... I actually... I, I My first... The first time Highlander popped on my radar, I would actually say was, I remember seeing previews for Highlander to The Quickening in like 1992 or whatever, whenever that one came out. 1992, yeah. Yeah, I remember seeing the previews for it and I remember seeing, I was like, oh, Sean Connery. And I knew him from The Untouchables and and a bunch of other stuff. I just, yeah, I, I knew who he was. I never ended up seeing it because I didn't see the first one, but mm-hmm. but I just remember that trailer being all over the place. So I knew he was kind of like this, this character, this fanciful kind of training character. And I knew that he was either Spanish or Egyptian or both. I just remember hearing like that. <laughs> like, so when we see him, my first thought is, why would you cast Sean Connery in this role? And my second thought was, if Sean Con- if you can get Sean Connery in your movie, get Sean Connery in your movie. Like this, <laughs> this that's like you don't say no. Let's not have Sean Connery. And this one is like, if if he's available and you can get him, get him obviously but then maybe consider revising the script maybe tailoring that it's like okay we're gonna rewrite this part for sean connery and i just wonder if he was like no no i'll play it as is <laughs> he's like i'll play it as it you're spanish yeah I'll, I'll but once we actually see him I was, I was like oh my gosh this character is delightful 
Yeah. The way he's dressed, he's like this kind of like dandy, and he's so I, I don't even know. There, there, like, he he brings the suave. He brings. Yes. I kind of joke, but really, there's not much of a character here. He's just leaning on a bit of the wink in his eye from James Bond. Mm-hmm. He, he's just playing Sean Connery up a little bit. I mean, that's what really he's doing. Yeah, like, but like with like the whole. The, the costuming and, and kind of like the flair and it's you're right like it doesn't have any kind of like spanish machismo but there's something else in there that this kind of like it's yeah it's just fascinating to watch and he just he comes in at the right time to, to you know lighten this up because mm-hmm. connor needs a mentor figure but you also need something with a little bit more personality than connor has right this is where I, I, one of my fascinations with this movie and kind of like this franchise came about because they introduced this character and the way Connery presents him, the way he's kind of written. And the one thing he kind of mentions to Connery is like, he's been married three times. They always mm-hmm. you know, die. He's, he's giving him this warning about the cost of immortality is everyone you love is going to, you're going to watch them die. And we do see that play out with that. And he's warning Connor is like, don't stay with her. It's, it's going to break your heart. And I like you too much. Yeah. And the only time, like, we kind of, like, get it right before their final scene with the Kurgan is when he's sitting there drinking with Heather, mm-hmm. when Connor is mysterious, and he's kind of telling the story of, you know, betting this woman. But without any kind of overtly homoerotic themes, like, presented between us, I did kind of key into that possible subtext between them. And I don't think it was deliberate in any way, but maybe it was just because the the relationship they had bring my own history and my own, mm-hmm. you know, reading resume with it. I, it was analogous to me to the vampires from Anne Rice's vampire Chronicles. Okay. So if okay. you've read any of those books yeah, yeah, or yeah. interview with the vampire, you've seen them. The thing is she uses vampirism and the sucking mm-hmm. of blood and the turning of vampire as a very overtly sexual experience. Sure, sure, sure. And the fact that most of the characters in her books are men, male vampires, it basically plays, it's this whole word of very queer focused and homoerotic male characters. And, but more to the fact that, I mean, it, it more it, it has more to do with the fact that we're the only two people who can experience this thing. Yeah. So the experience itself is almost, a superseding or above normal gender or sexual relationships or identities. It's like that, that becomes a non-factor because we're above normal people. And I kind of felt like they, they might've been, and and maybe, maybe it wasn't really there. Maybe that was just me bringing it into it, but I can mm-hmm. see something developing in the world of the Highlander and the mm-hmm. other fiction where you have these two immortals. What is to stop them from finding a love with each other? Because, mm-hmm they don't have the same cost of watching their loved ones die. I mean, why wouldn't they? It's 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 fascinating that you mentioned that because I I mean, I think I've heard or I've, I've listened to other people kind of espouse very similar theories to the characters. And there is something very primal, especially when he's explaining about the quickening and they got the stag and you're feeling the beating of the heart. There's the a running on the beach scene. Yeah, they're, they're running <laughs> yeah. on the beach. I mean, there is a connection that, that the immortals have because they can feel each other's presence. They can, they react to each other a certain way. They have this very intimate fight. I mean, they, they cannot die except when they you know fight each other and cut off each other's heads. And so it's very intimate in that sense. And you're right. They have the longer life together. Now, in the movies, or in the first few movies especially, they don't really introduce the concept of women immortals. It isn't until the, the TV show that they actually have women immortals. And actually, that was one of my other questions, was do we actually ever meet female immortals? 
You do. And and in the TV series, they explore a lot more of that because when we're introduced to Duncan McLeod, he's got a long-term girlfriend who knows his secret, but she's mortal. Mm -hmm. And when she dies, actually, I think before she dies, there's an immortal lover that he has had for centuries who shows up and like says, hi, I'm, I'm back around. And she's kind of the complete opposite of him. And they have this this love affair that has lasted centuries and they've mm. been together and they've split apart. So there are some mortals that can make it together for long periods of times. There are some that, that can't cause it is forever. <laughs> Unlike, you know, there, there's a time limit for most of our relationships. These ones go on forever. So it is interesting that you mentioned that. No, I, Sean Connery is a very, very interesting choice for this role. And he does bring that element of lightheartedness, joy, and he's also the narrator of the film. He he starts off being the narrator, and he comes in and he explains to people in the middle of the film, okay, let's settle back a second. Let me give you some idea of what's going on here. <laughs> Telling that to Connor and also to us at the same time. So it's a very key role, and I think that they knocked out of the park by getting somebody as good as Sean Connery to do sure, it. Yeah. All right, let's, uh, let's go ahead and talk about the other immortal on the premises, or the other big one at least, the Kurgan, played by <sighs> Clancy Brown. Oh, <laughs> you know, for for waiting like 39 years before I see this movie, one like I mean, this this should have been one of the defining screen villains of my young life. I, I feel like if if I missed out on anything really from this experience of not watching this in my early teens or pubescence, I was missing the Kurgan from mm. my my list of great superhero rogue, or great film rogues galleries. Yeah, you know. Ivan Drago, Darth Vader, the Kurgan, like he should have been there. Yeah, he he is the, he's very similar to the shark from Jaws. He's a killing machine. That's yeah. what he does. That's yeah. all he does. Mm -hmm. he, he shows up, he kills, he moves on to the next thing. And that's what he was bred for way back when. And that's what he's been doing for centuries upon centuries upon centuries. And yeah. he's insane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, this was my introduction to Clancy Brown as an actor when I first saw this. I, and I saw this in around 89 or 90, I want to say, somewhere in that that time frame. And that was like, that's Clancy Brown. And from that point on, whenever I saw him, like, he shows up in Starship Troopers, I'm like, the Kurgan! You know, Shawshank Redemption, the Kurgan! <laughs> there is no other role. I don't care what you give me. I, I've been watching... Uh, the last Avatar, the last Airbender with my daughter, mm -hmm. and he's in that. I hear his voice. I'm like, "That's a Kurgan." It's not. Mm -hmm. That's Clancy Brown. I said, "That's a Kurgan." <laughs> he was the voice of Lex Luthor on all of the DC animated, you know, the, the Timverse and mm -hmm. everything. So what? What I mean, he comes on like a thunderstorm. <laughs> so the first time we meet him, it's in you know 15th century Scotland mm -hmm. or whatever, and he's got like his ultimate you know badass like like <laughs> outfit that looks like it's just cobbled together from bones and skulls and got like the helmet and he's just like i'm gonna kill this one guy i'm gonna mess him up yeah. and he does like they don't have like this long drawn out fight as soon as they see each other it's just mm -hmm. sword through connor right there yeah. and of course that separates him so then the next time we meet him flashback to contemporary and he's just cruising like just speeding down the highway in his car with a queen song playing in that he's got his own theme song and he's like got short hair and he's just laughing and, and screaming and it's they give him an entrance they know how to, how to treat him yeah and they give him some of I think this movie's most fun and sick and disturbing scenes. Mm -hmm. he, he's got a scene where he uh, is he takes out one of Connor's friends in an alley. And we have a Punisher knockoff guy come in and, and shoot him up. 
that was that was an interesting little deviation. Okay, we've got like this urban vigilante, you know, Vietnam. I was like, I've seen this guy in a Daredevil comic, and I was uh-huh. trying to think, yeah. which one yeah. came first? Did Anosenti write him first, or did this movie come out? I was like, yeah, yeah. like I said, like I said, him and the he's he's read one too many Punisher comics. That's yep, that's yep, whenever yep. I see him, I'm like, mm, yeah, he's he thinks he's a Punisher, and he's really not. But yeah, we we have that scene. We have Kurgan going in and cutting the top off a car, throwing a guy out, and like you know, his mo- old mother's there. Boo, you know. We have so many interesting scenes with him. You mentioned the scene where he takes Brenda. He kidnaps Brenda and driving. Yeah, There's a lot of screaming in that scene, but that scene is just absolutely terrifying because he is running over everybody. He is, he doesn't care about anything because he can, because there's no, there's no there's, danger to him. There's no like, danger to him at all. Yeah. That's, that's the thing. Like you really, it's like, okay. It's like, yeah, he's crazy. It's like, but you kind of realize like, yeah, it doesn't matter if he crashes into that semi truck, if they get yeah. pancaked because he's going to walk away mm-hmm. and he'll just find some other leverage. Yeah. Um, but even the scene right before that, when, uh, when Connor and Brenda are at the zoo yeah. and you see him lurking in the background, he just kind of steps out of the shadow and listens to them talking and then disappears before Connor turns around. Yeah. And it's like perfect framing for just perfect setup. It's like, you don't need that's, you know, like you just know he's there even without like a close up or everything like that. And I was like, that sets the tension. I was like, this is great. This is great. We need to talk about the scene in the church too, because that's the scene mm-hmm. where we, we, they finally get an opportunity to talk. I, I love the concept of the immortals that they have the one safety zone. Holy ground is neutral. Holy ground is where you can parlay. Holy ground is where you can talk to each other without killing each other. Which I kind of wondered, like, I, I, and again, like, like, yeah. if, if you have those rules, okay, what constitutes holy ground? Like, is it any particular religion, or like, like, how do how do you sanctify? Like, well, like, they, in the in the TV show, they basically have gone all the way through it. Basically, any religion that has churches, that has, synagogues, mosques, churches, synagogues, holy, temples, uh, it, it, uh, a holy ground for Native American. Okay, yeah, yeah, it just you know. If it's designated as a holy ground, you cannot fight there. Okay, it's safety. Right. It's it's this it's it's kids playing I'm a game. It's the safe. Yeah, I'm on base. <laughs> that, that is exactly what it is. But we have this scene in the in this church, and first of all, we have amazing makeup job <laughs> with him, like with a bald head and with safety pins in the neck where Ramirez cut him. That that scene stays with you, man. That that, that look oh. stays with you for a while. Oh yeah, and you have this fascinating conversation between the two where i mean this age-old grudge it really is the kurgan that's got the upper hand he's just Mm -hmm. playing with him he is playing with him he's playing with his emotions he knows he's stronger he knows he's more intense he knows that he can push connor around right yeah and like like the whole thing was like i mean it's it was definitely implied i kind of like figured it out before they revealed that i was like mm, when he was alone with heather and the i was like yeah he probably yeah. raped her yeah like, that's yeah that's probably how that the fact that she's still alive after that i was like that didn't yeah that only went one way um <laughs> and and when he kind of like mentions that to to connor that he you know he raped ramirez's woman mm-hmm. and he, when connor reacts that way he's like oh it was her i was like i kind of wonder i was like did he know or did he suspect it's a difficult scene to talk about because it's like, okay, it's it's a trope that's overused. It, right. you know, it, it really is. This movie is interesting because it has about three women that have big roles in it. And all of them are strong in and of their own way. I mean, you have right. his, his first love in the village who is like, I believe in God. He's the devil. And she's the one who's leading the crowd. She's like, you know, right, he, right. You know she's tur- he has turned on me. He has made me look bad. He makes everybody look bad. And so she's got her own agency. She's very strong. She's got her own agency. You have a second his second love, Heather, who how he treats her and how she's treated is 
appropriate for the time. But you can definitely see that there's a love between them and that he would do anything for her and she would do anything for him. He stayed with her until she was old and gray and dying. And she never told him because she was a... You can read a lot into it. She never told him what happened between her and the Kurgan because she didn't want to lose him. She didn't want him to go after the Kurgan. She wanted to keep him safe. As much to protect him from that knowledge as as to protect herself. But yeah. And, 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 I mean, she was strong enough. I mean, think about the time. <laughs> there was no therapist she could go to. There's nobody right, she could right. talk to about this. She was strong in and of herself to be able to say, okay, this is my secret. I'm keeping it, and it's not going to change me. It's just, it's a thing it is, and it, there we go. We're moving on. Right. So, I, as misogynistic as this movie can be at times, it's amazing that the women in it have such agency, which is I think is very interesting. Right, right, right. We're, we've been all over the board. I, I I should ask you, let's get into some of the negatives, then we can come back to uh, positive before we end this off. Because I know you've got some negatives in this film. Is there anything that really screamed out at you that just like, ah, I, I I just don't like this? More, It was more nitpicky stuff than, than overall big negative, which is good. Because mm-hmm. um, usually that stuff that I was just like, all right. Like if I once I grant the premises, this little stuff, the stuff that bothered me most of it was honestly it was like bits of dialogue that I kind of found corny. Yeah. You know, like the obviously there's the interrogation scene when he first gets picked up and like yeah, like the the police like the police going after him like how violently like they take him down. Like I was like, like no, I come was, on, it's mid eighties New York. What do you expect? I mean, <laughs> I know, but I like just thinking about police like in, in putting that yeah. into a modern day. Like my my first thought was, but he's white. How are, why are you treating? <laughs> <laughs> that way and, like, so oh that's terrible but no so, so but they freak out and then of course once he's in the interrogation room with the, the detectives and that one arresting officer is like why is that uniform trooper in their room with them yeah and of course he has to you know ask him if he's gay using a, a yeah. vulgar a f word slang slang term and connor's throwing it back at him which yeah. like for, I, was, I was like of course 1980s action movie yeah. we have to yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I always loved the one part of the scene where he swings at him. Connor kind of takes it and then throws him one-handed across the room, where it's like, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Hey, this guy's got some strength. You might not want to mess with him. And then exactly. you know, he's like, "Am I dressed? No, I'm out of here." You know, that's right, it. We're right. moving on. Yeah, the yeah. dialogue. The dialogue is not always top. But but also part of it, like compounded with the fact that, as we've said, I don't think Christopher Lambert was very good at delivering the dialogue. And there were just like the moments when, like when he rescued Rachel, which actually I, that was something like where like, I was like, where's this scene? He's picking up this random girl in the middle of world war two. It's like, Oh, that's okay. That's like the secretary, the the assistant who works for him at the store. I was like, okay. I I was like, I want a little bit more from this relationship, but I don't actually need a little bit more. I was like, the, the, what we they give us is fine for this story. I don't need to know, like everything I need is on the is on the screen. But I was like, mm-hmm. maybe I could have had a little bit. But just like the fact, like when when he rescues her, and there's just like the one rogue German, like they they like they ran out of like the budget, couldn't afford <laughs> an entire squad, so they get one Nazi. Yeah. But he's wearing like a general's uniform. Yeah. <laughs> like, where, yeah. Did this, where did this guy just wander from? He's, a, he's some then, some officer that comes in and says something, and hey, hey, hey whatever you yeah, say, you're the then, master race. <laughs> and then Connor has some stupid 80s action hero line yeah. before he guns him down. I was like, that sounded stupid. And then, like, at the very end, when Kurgan is going to kill Brenda and, like, Connor has got his second wind and he holds up the sword to deflect him. And he kind of, like, looks at her. He's like, what took you so long? Like, he's like, 
all of a sudden like like superhero, and then from there like the fight is completely one-sided mm-hmm. and he just starts like slashing and hacking up kurgan until like the final death blow and i was like what changed like how come those like few precious seconds gave him like enough to like completely like reverse this like it, hulk hogan was hearing the crowd say you know giving him the chanting <laughs> and he was you know pumping himself up I, yeah the heroes got to win we have to have this gigantic animation thing at the end with these dragons and stuff yeah that was weird so the the quickenings are amazing in the tv show and this is where they come from (laughs) so yeah my negatives were i think the main character was miscast horribly miscast (laughs) i would have liked to see an actor maybe a native english speaker maybe maybe Maybe. i'm just you know throwing that out who who might have been able to you know, con- convey this a little bit. I mean, he could play kind of aloof, like he's been immortal and, and kind of dead to emotion. Oh, yeah, I buy that, but I, <laughs> I don't think I'm buying it for the reason you want me to. But I also, I just felt like the character was a little bit more passive. I, I felt like he was the least interesting character of mm-hmm. all like the three or four main main characters. Um, and by the end, like, again, like you're saying, just like the, the MacGuffin of this mm-hmm. gathering and the prize and the whole trippy animated demons ending and everything i was like is this what they wanted i was like this is what they're fighting like and i get just not understanding is like is this what is the biochemical thing when two of them are in the same room they have to fight i was like no because the one guy he he saw earlier like the black immortal who kurgan beheads in the alley i was like he was friends with connor and they were fine like yeah so just some of the rules and some of like the the stakes and and that's why like by the end of it i i just kept thinking i was like maybe just a little bit of a rewrite i mean they could have made this thing the first in a very strong franchise yeah because very simple premise you've got a race of immortal beings who've always been there you know kind of like you know vampires you can say they're as ancient as or whatever mm-hmm. and the only way they can be killed is in like a ritual sword fight and beheading and for whatever reason, there's factions and maybe there's one of them that just decides, yeah, I'm going to go around and I'm going to kill all of the others because I think that there's some sort of preordained destiny or religious reasons, or mm-hmm. I think it makes me stronger, like the Jet Li movie, The One or something yep. like that. There's lots of different reasons that you could do without basically by the end of it saying you you killed off this entire <laughs> this premise. By the end of it, they shut the door on any potential sequels. And yeah, they, they refused to admit that to themselves and, and kept going. So, yeah, I mean, like problems with logistics, problems with tone, but overall just kind of like fascinating. And I mentioned it to David Ace Gutierrez because as soon as he knew that I saw it, uh-huh. he was like asking, he's like, what did you think? And like my big picture takeaway was if I had watched this as a teenager or in my more formative years, I think this probably would have been like one of those movies that I kept coming back to. And I think this would have had shaped like my young adult life. And I, I think this probably would have been as important to me as it was to you and to David. Had I seen that, uh-huh. had I seen the movie 25 years ago. <laughs> but at the same time, it still sounds like you enjoyed it. I did. I did overall. Yeah. It was a good experience. Yeah. I, I don't feel compelled to follow up on it and see the others. I will save you that trip. I will say, you know what? You recognize where the warts and all are in this movie. If you ever feel the need to sit down and watch some people swing around swords, you know where you can find the movie now. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious. Is there anything else big for you in this movie that you really enjoy? After uh, after it was like this morning when I woke up, I was listening to some of the Queen songs again, the soundtrack from the, the It's a Kind of Magic. Uh, um, I, I found myself 
I actually like the movie version of the song, A Kind mm-hmm. of Magic, that plays during the ending credits. I like the movie version more than the original, like the the main whatever album version uh, that, that leads off the album that I think was also on their greatest hits. I think maybe just like the composition, the arrangement of the movie version, I like that a little bit better. So yeah, the, the Queen soundtrack is fun. There's like some really good songs, uh, like the um, Who Wants to Live Forever right in the middle during that mm-hmm. whole thing. Um, you kind of see why I used it on your soundtrack show. I mean, I can, I definitely, and now <laughs> it, it resonates with me and I have more context for that. Yeah, anytime I see somebody, you know, walking down the street in a trench coat, I'm going to wonder, is there a Japanese guitar, like a 700 year old? Uh, Ryan, it's the answer to that is always going to be yes. yes. Yes, there is. And yeah. that way you're, will be, you won't be surprised when they whip it out and start chasing you. Right. I also, I actually, I appreciated that, you know, it wasn't just like Scottish Claymore swords and broadswords and things like that. Like that his like sort of choice was this feudal Japanese katana blade, which was really cool. If This isn't just a clashing of so many different cultures at once with, you know, a Scottish guy playing an Egyptian by way of Spain with a guy from Denmark playing a Scot who can't speak English. Let's go ahead and throw a Japanese sword in here as well, because why not you know I, I don't think the word highlander would necessarily be the best but you could tell another story in this world yeah. with a japanese immortal and yeah. you could do like a samurai type of story with this or or some other kind of blending i i do i do like the the fusion and the blending of the different cultural like uh, imagery and everything i think i think that helps you know create the idea and and you know foster this sense that these people are above normal civilization normal culture because they outlast it and they can cross barriers like when he's asked where are you from and he says lots of places lots of different places yeah. yeah and the way he says that with the look in his eyes that's the thing that that for me this movie has always represented it's the here's a great story idea here's a group of people who have lived forever and just the fantasy element of that mm-hmm. just always blew my mind and that's the reason why this movie has stuck with me and, and many other people for so long and, and you're completely right it gets imprinted on you like most movies they get imprinted mm-hmm. on you at a certain time and that is the movie that that you're going to go back to in your own mind it, it might be the fact that because I don't have the same fidelity to this movie, having not grown up yeah. on it, but one of the thoughts kind of running through the back of my head is, you know, Hollywood is always scrambling to resurrect these old IPs and remake mm-hmm. them and try and create something new for a new generation. I was like, this one without much tweaking could definitely be. And I know there will be there will be purists who say, you know, the first one is fine. And I don't know if its reputation is tarnished by the legacy of bad sequels and, and things like that. But I was like, they could, you know, 2022 Highlander or something like they could do like a new version with a new cast. And I was like, it has always been in the blacklist of movies that they want to redo. People have had the properties, people, directors have said, I'm going to resurrect it. And people are like, do it. <laughs> the fans of this movie and the fans of the series and the fans of the, the entire property have basically... They have edited the, their own mind to make it make sense. And they, they have to because there's so much garbage that's out there. And you pick and choose what you like and what you enjoy. I've got all of it except for The Raven. I, I think The Raven's the only thing I haven't touched and I haven't watched because I watched one episode and I said, moving on. But I've, I bought all this stuff and they, and they will always get my money because I enjoy it. Yeah, it is ripe for a remake and I don't think that it would be bad at all. But before we get to the remake, we need to find out the most important thing of all. And that is the question of how many full bags of popcorn would you give this movie one through five? 
one through five. No halvesies. No halvesies either. No halvesies. Can we do like quartersies or thirdsies? No, no, no because fractions, you, you no. know, no fractions. Uh, on the Longbox Crusade, only Joe November could do halvesies. We have to do a whole full bags of popcorn. You got that big bag of popcorn. You want one or five, two, three, or four? My first inclination would be on its merits, this probably deserves a three out of five. Mm-hmm. But for all of the extra, <laughs> the, the, the sort of like the, the gravitas, the, the queen soundtrack, the fact that it's queen, just like how rich and lovable the supporting characters are, like the Kurgan as a memorable villain and Sean Connery as this, this crazy kind of like Spanish mentor figure. The fact that it's just, it's about dudes in cities with swords and cutting each other's heads off. Like that, that sort of primal kid who likes these these ba- very basic themes and action things like that all of those things bump it up to a um a four with an asterisk <laughs> it's like <laughs> i understand completely i get it trust me because i'm like i said i've said i have i have wax poetic about this film myself i love this film yeah. this is a four to me this is a four mm-hmm. this is my favorite movie at all times but at the same time i'm like this is not a great movie <laughs> yeah. it's got issues there's not a perfection that's in there that can give me that five but that will never diminishing my diminish my own personal love for it i mean if i go just from my heart it's always going to be a five but if i if i'm going to critique this film it's going to be a four for me so i understand the asterisks completely as a, as a former teacher i i gave kids grades a bump if i liked them if i thought that, like, <laughs> this kid this kid is special this kid has a future and it might not be in my particular field. It might not be in the class that I'm teaching. But there's something about this kid, that kid that, you know, I, yeah, he's, he's got moxie. He's got, so. Well, Ryan, I, I really appreciate this because I know that I wanted to do this film and I want to do this film with you. I didn't know if I'd get the chance. And I really <laughs> I really have to watch myself now because as soon as this pandemic is over, I think David S. Gutierrez is going to be coming knocking on my door. But <laughs> I, he might also appreciate me because I got you to watch the film finally. I'm not sure where it's going to land. So I really do appreciate you watching this film with me and you playing along with my silly little game and, and, and letting you be on my show where I can edit this time for you. So <laughs> No, this was, uh, this was no, like, this was an enjoyable experience. I, I I had the time to kill, and by the end of it, I was just like, this was fun. I'm glad I, I ended up doing this. I was happy to to do this for the show. Now, you know, if the next time I do a soundtrack selections, if somebody brings Kurgan's theme as one of their picks, <laughs> I was like, hey, I can actually, I, I have something, I have some thoughts about this one. Um, so, no, I was happy to do it. This, this was not a chore or, or any, like, hardship to watch. Uh, this was, this was fun, and it's at least something that I can get off my back now. Where people Speaking of soundtrack selection, what other shows can people find you on if they were so inclined? Yeah. Yeah. Plug my own stuff. Uh, if, if your listeners want to hear me on other podcasts, you can find me on the fire and water podcast network where I am just one of several brilliant and talented podcasters, but I host a number of shows. One of them is Fire and Water Records, which is kind of a musical anthology show. One of the features that I've done a couple of this past year is soundtrack selections where guests and I will pick out favorite songs that appeared in movies and kind of bring our own interpretations or or why they stood out so much to us. But also me and a guest, oftentimes it's my brother, but other guests will talk about certain artists that we really like or that just strike a chord with us for some reason, be it Prince or 
Pearl Jam or the Bee Gees or something else. And uh, we've got more planned for that in the future for coming up next year. I also do Cheers Cast, which is my uh, chronological like viewing indexing show of my favorite TV show of all time, Cheers. Rick, you have generously appeared on several episodes, and you will in the future. You're, you're, I think you, you actually, you're probably at executive producer status now because you're definitely one yes. of the patron sponsors. <laughs> so yeah, that means I have to give you some of the meatier episodes too. Uh, I'm I'm always good for the joke episodes as well. So, you know, (laughs) spread the love. But yeah, just a few other shows that I do. um, Batman Nightcast. uh, Me and Chris Franklin talk about Batman comics that we love. And then a few other sort of random uh, occasional shows. Give me those Star Wars and occasional Find Your Joy little spotlight episodes of FW Presents. So basically, if you want to find out for me, it's Fire and Water Podcast Network. As for myself, you can always find me on Twitter at mmuckabout or on my other podcast, Unpacking the Power of Power Pack, which I host with my co-host Jeff, who I affectionately call a stupid haggis. If you would like to be on this show, please feel free to contact me. You can reach me at jeffandrickpresent, all one word, at gmail.com. Big thank you to Longbox Crusade Network for letting me use this beautiful attic of theirs in their headquarters to broadcast my show, and to their sponsor, Omaha Bound. If you want to bind up all of your great sword magazines, go ahead and do so. They're on a little bit of a hiatus right now, but check out their website. They'll be back soon. Also, to the Longbox Crusade members who help support this network, if you would like to support the network, head on over to Patreon and search for Longbox Crusade. That's all the time we have at this point please come back next week where we will be back with another movie and more popcorn the music for this episode is fall back by musical genius joe november check out his soundcloud at josephlin 99 that's j-o-s-e-f-l-i-n 99 So what do you do with haggis? You eat it.